as always, for those that are around us and uh, those that we know that are unsaved. We're going to be talking about that today, as a matter of fact. It's a very touchy subject um, because of the manner in which in the, those that we ought to be praying for and those that we ought to be listening to and, uh, and uh, those that we shouldn't listen to. But God, first and foremost, is, is at first, right? We want to pray for our leaders, as we'll see here in just a little bit. Those in authority. We want to pray for our church, our church members, those that are not, not feeling well, those that are shut in. And so um, I, I just like to lift up prayer requests right now. If anybody has a prayer request or something that we can pray for, I'd like to go ahead and open that up now. Any prayer requests that we can lift up to the Lord this morning? Yes. Your family. Okay, very good. Will do. Anyone else? You know, I, I got to see... Go ahead. Yeah. I, I, I got to see Terry. Thank you, Sylvia, for keeping us up uh, updated. Um, and uh, it was interesting because uh, we were able to share the Lord's Supper with her. She hasn't been here in several months, in some time. And I want those of you that are online watching right now, if you'd like for us to come by and uh, share the Lord's Supper with you, just let us know. We, we, we'll be able to do it in a traveling manner. But uh, Terry's, uh, of course, shut in. She's losing her eyesight due to her diabetes. She's not feeling well. So, But she was in good spirits the day we saw her, right, brother? Yeah, it was, it was really good to see her. And also, you know, Joan and, and for others as well. Anybody else? Yes, Richard. Okay. Richard will keep you in prayer, you know. And uh, I love you, brother, but keep your distance. <laughs> yeah, I know you do. I know you do. Yes. For me and my family. Thank you very much. Yeah, she's, uh, she's not feeling well. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. All right. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. If, any, if we have any other requests, but let's all stand. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we do come before you this morning with an attitude of gratitude for all that you've given us. Yes, Lord, I know that there are many here that are, that are hurting. A lot of things that have gone on in their life uh, just recently or in the past. For those that uh, suffered the loss of uh, this loved one yesterday that we celebrated their life. And I, Father, I pray that the word was able to reach those that were desperately in need of salvation, that uh, it penetrated the hearts of those hearts that have been hard and so seared for so many months and years. And Lord, uh, we pray for, for a fruit that is going to blow people away. We thank you, God, for opportunities like that. We thank you for even our own failings and the own things that we've done and uh, that have hurt us. And we pray, God, for forgiveness. And we ask you, Lord, to single those out right now in our mind, that in, within our heart, that we know, Father, as we ask you to reveal to me and to reveal to each one of us. And Father, I pray that we can lay them down here at your throne of grace and mercy. But we lift up those that are around us. We lift up our, our leaders that uh, are running this country. We lift up our spiritual leaders that are, are leading by example. We lift up those that are within our, our city and our government, Lord, that, that need uh, a converting effect, not necessarily for their health, but yes, Lord, we, we pray for their health, but we pray for a conversion in their hearts that come to know who you are. For what should it profit a man if he were to gain the whole world but yet lose his soul? And so we lift them up to you, Father, as we will find out here in just a bit. We thank you for uh, those that are concerned of, of our family members that are around, uh, that are not here today, for my wife, for Terry, for, uh, for Richard himself, and, uh, and for those, for Joan, and for others, Lord, that, that are not able to be with us today. We lift them up to you. And uh, I do pray for uh, a family, our families, Lord. 
because those are the ones that are the most important to us at this time. And we pray for their salvation. We pray for that they come and they recognize that you are God and you want nothing but the best intention for them. You want eternal life. You desire for all people to be saved. Help us understand that, Lord, when we know that actually that's not going to happen. But we want our family to be saved. And we lift them up to you right now. So, Lord, as we go through this letter of Paul, written to Timothy, a pastor of this church, we come to find out that the very first thing that he talks about is to pray. And we're, we're here standing in the gap in between those that we love, those of an authority, those around us, those of our church. We're standing in the gap right now, interceding and pleading, supplicating in such a manner that, that it will become more compassionate and, and that we can empathize and we can sympathize with those that we're praying for so that we can pray more intelligently. So, Father, I just thank you for this opportunity that you give us. Lead us in all things, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Open up your Bibles to 1 Timothy. We are in 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to be going over verses 1 through 7. As you know, the book of Timothy is a letter that was written by Paul to Timothy. Timothy was the pastor of Ephesus. We also have a letter addressed to the church at Ephesus. And so Timothy was a young pastor. He was a young man, as we've learned. He's, he was Paul's right-hand man. Paul raised him up. He was his spiritual son in the faith. He gave Timothy basically everything that he knew uh, what to give him. And he had confidence in Timothy. After about 15, 20 years of doing ministry, Paul installs him as the pastor of Ephesus. Lead this church. And this is how a church ought to behave. Paul's already explained to him. He's already talked to him. He's discipled him. Timothy had gone through all these missionary journeys as Paul is uh, planting these churches and installing elders. And so Timothy has seen much of this. Yet in prison, before he dies, Knowing that death is coming, he had the leading of the Holy Spirit to write Timothy these letters, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And we also know that he wrote a letter to Titus, and we call these the prison epistles, uh, and, uh, or the pastoral epistles, but they do come from prison. And Paul is leaving his last instructions. You know, I, I want you to get this, Timothy. I want you to understand, yes, first of all, as we, as we learned in Chapter 1, verses 3, he says, I urged you when, you when I was going to Macedonia to remain at Ephesus. I know you want to leave, Timothy. I know you're discouraged. I know that the people there are just giving you a hard time, but you need to stay. I, I urged you. I begged you. Do not go. That's the first thing Paul says. I urge you to stay there. And, you know, I know it's difficult. We'll find out later that Timothy was having some issues uh, intestinally. Something was going on. And Paul tells him to drink a little bit of wine to calm him down. And, and he says, you know, you, you've got to really just... Focus on the ministry and focus on the power of the Holy Spirit because that's the only way you're going to get this done. But he says, and the reason I want you to be there is to, to charge uh, certain people and not to teach different doctrines. Timothy, I've taught you what the Holy Spirit has taught me, what Jesus Christ has taught me, that Jesus Christ, it is by grace that you're saved through faith and this not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. You don't have to do anything for this salvation. These people that are coming in, they're saying that, well, you have to have this special revelation. You have to have this elite connection. You have to have this understanding of how these uh, emanations work, how angels work, how you have to understand all of these things in order for you to be saved. And Paul tells Timothy, and again, we'll talk about this later as it comes up. Paul's telling Timothy, don't let them teach that. Stand firm. You don't need anything more but 
the Holy Spirit transforming you, becoming a new creation. Because the old is gone, the new has come. Now, he, he does give us evidence. These are the evidences of a person that is actually saved. And he talks to them and shares with them on how this evidence is to be manifested in a person's life. In Galatians, he tells us, walk by the Spirit so you don't gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And it's amazing how Paul is talking to the churches in Galatia. He's talking to the church. Walk by the Spirit. Do not walk by the flesh, church. What are you guys doing? You're, you act like the world, Paul is saying. You're, you're, you're walking in such a way that it seems like you can't even tell the difference between the church and the world. And Paul says, walk by the Spirit. And you won't gratify those things that you want. The power, the money, the lust, the adultery, the drugs, the alcohol, all that, all that stuff that the world goes after. The prestige. The notoriety, being able to be around people that will look up to you and worship you because you're such a great person. No, Jesus told us to deny ourselves daily and pick up our crosses daily and follow him daily, not just on Sundays. And so Paul has already shared all these things with Timothy. He says, you need to teach these people that this is how we are to respond to the gospel message. And, you know, it's interesting that in verse 12, we, we spent a little bit of time on this. And on, he says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to service. And we look at Paul, and we read his letters, and we see all that he has done. And we say, well, of course, Paul, you were a great super apostle. You wrote 13 of the letters that are in the book in the New Testament. You, you, you know, you pretty much formulated the doctrines of the church for us. To, of course, Paul, that Jesus Christ saw you faithful. However, he had something else in mind when he said, though formerly, he says, I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. An insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly and in belief and in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom, and check this out, of whom I, he says, I am. Not I was, not I used to be. Not I, you know, I'm okay. No, I still am the worst of the bunch. He says, I am the foremost. He says it again, uh, well, he says it again in, in the Corinthians. And he says that he is the chief sinner. See, Paul knew his place. He knew who he was. He knew his heart. And he knew that he could never, ever measure up to the perfection of God. And we cannot measure up to the perfection of God. This is why we need a savior. Not just on Sundays, but every day. We need a Savior to walk us through this world of pain, of agony, of misery, of politics, of power, of prestige. We need a Savior that is going to keep us focused on the goal, which is Jesus Christ. It's upward. And Paul is saying, stay there, Timothy. Teach this church these things. These are the things that you need to teach and share these things with them. In verse 18, and I'm just kind of jumping over, he says, this I charge you. Remember the word charge. The word is a, is a charge like a military command. Charge! Go! I'm commanding you. Do this. I charge you. And I entrust, it, I, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you wage the good warfare. There is this warfare going on, beloved. And it goes on within the church all the time. 
And this warfare is one thinks he's better than the other. And it's not me against you. It's not you against me as people. But it's the powers and the principalities and the dark forces behind this behind the scenes, as Paul says to the people in Ephesus. And he says, that's why we ought to put on the full armor of God. Because we need, we are fighting forces that we cannot see. In Corinth, he says to the people in Corinth, he says, you know, our, the weapons that we fight with are not weapons fashioned by the hands of man. No, our weapons are those that, de- that demolish strongholds. And we take every thought captive, is what Paul says. Not the attitudes, not the actions, not the things that people do to me. They hurt me, they, they spit on me, but my thought, I take that captive and make it obedient to Christ. Because my first response When somebody insults me or somebody insults my family, my first response is I want to lash out. Paul says, no, no, we don't fight that way. We don't play like that. You know, we're not West Side, South Side, Norteños, Sureños. We're not, we're not, you know, Democrats, Republicans. We're not, we're not that. We fight with weapons that you cannot see. I think I touched on a couple of toes there. I'm sorry if you come from that background, but yo sé, hermano, yo sé, órale. But it's not that kind of a warfare that we fight. You've sensed it within your own family. You've sensed the animosity, the the hatred, the pain sometimes when people talk about your Christianity, your church, your people that you hang. You're going to go to church on Sunday? Such a beautiful, it's going to rain tomorrow. What are you going to do? Come on, man. We need to take this day off. You do, you give what? You give 10% to the, why do you do that? That is just, you know, you you hear things like this. We got a Bible study tonight. We have a prayer meeting tonight, but we got other, other plans. Yeah, no, no, no. But this is my priority. This is what I do first. And, and you, you get the, maybe not the outlash that Paul got and what Timothy was going through, but you get it. You get it. And this warfare is subtle. And it, 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 the, Satan is willing to take his time, and he picks, and he picks, and he picks until he breaks through, and boom. And by the time you know it, you just say, you know, forget this Christianity stuff. It's not working. Satan says, see, I told you. And God says, well, I don't know what you're looking for here on this planet, but your salvation is for a different world. It's not for this planet, because this world is not your home. You're just passing through. And, you know, all the enemy wants to do is just to destroy your mindset, your thought about who God is, and pervert and corrupt the word of God. Timothy, stay there. Teach. The, teach. Show these people not to teach a different doctrine. And so, in that sense, Paul says, okay, now, Timothy, I want to share something with you. He says in verse 1 of chapter 2, read this with me. Okay, read along with me. First of all, you know, and I just want you to stop right there. Before you start reading it, you know, one of the things that we have to understand is when Paul is writing a letter, he is responding to something that has come up. We don't know exactly what took place. However, because Paul starts off, first of all, with prayer, somehow he must have gotten word that, you know, your church in Ephesus, they're not praying. You know, you know first and foremost, your church has to be a praying church, number one. Amen? You've got to pray. And not only pray on Sundays, but you've got to be people of prayer. When people say, will you pray for me? You need to drop everything and pray for them right there and then. If you ask somebody, hey, can I pray for you? You stop and you pray for them right there. You know, I was at an event one time with this bunch of motorcycle guys. And these guys were, you know, the the outlaw group. And I'm talking to this guy. He's a 
big shot in, in this, this club. And, and I'm talking to him. And, I, and so as I'm talking to him, he says, yeah, yeah, you know, I understand. You know, I, I've gone to, you know, I listened and I've heard. And, you know, thank you for sharing that with me. And I says, can I pray for you? He says, yeah, go ahead. I put my hand on him and I started praying out loud in front of everybody else. You should have seen the ambiance in the room. Just Everybody goes, what? And they're all kind of like listening as I'm praying. And as I'm praying for this, this, this man and, and lifting up his family and asking and praying for salvation upon his home. And after I said, amen, he says, you know what, man, I appreciate that. I really thank you. One of his buddies come up, so he just pats him on the back and says, hey, you feel better now? Kind of making fun of him. And says, leave me alone, man. Leave me alone. Pray. Do not be afraid to pray in public. When Paul is talking, the first and foremost, something took place. Something was not happening. Paul says, first of all, here's the one thing I need you to do. He says, pray, first of all. First of all, then I urge the supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful, quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God. And there is one mediator between God and men and the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher, an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Father in heaven, thank you once again for this opportunity that you give us to dive in this portion of scripture that we can check our prayer life. And I pray, Father, that this is a heart check. And I know that your people are praying. I know. I know they pray. They pray for their loved ones. They pray for their food. I, I, I hope. I, I know that they're praying before they go to bed. They pray when they wake up. They pray when, they, when they're traveling, Lord, for traveling mercies. They pray over their children, their grandchildren. And, Father, I know that we have a church of praying people. So I, I pray, Lord, that it, those that are praying and, and that are lifting up, I pray that they don't take this in the wrong way. But Paul has asked us, first and foremost, to this church that he left Timothy in charge of, to pray, to lift up these supplications, these prayers, petitions, thanksgiving. So, Father, help us to look deep into this word and your, and your command, this charge that you give this little church to do. Thank you, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that's coming up, as you probably know, and you've seen the ads and you've seen the posters and the banners and you're getting them on your phone and on TV, this is an election year. And a lot of people are being popped up. A lot of people are being promoted. We have people on the Democratic side. We have people on the Republican side. We have people on the conservative side. We have people on the, on the liberal side. We have people on the left. We have people on the right. And, and I've, as I've stated many times before, you know, and you might have a preference, and I'm not going to tell you which to vote for or which not to vote for, but, you, but I, I just want you to know one thing. Either the right side and the left side, they are two wings of the same bird, and they fly according to how this government is moving people forward. Now, naturally, there's some that are, appear to be more godly than others, and we don't really know their motives and their hearts. But they, they t some talk the talk, some don't. You can see it. And, uh, and some are very deceitful and, and deceptive, and so we don't know. But the one thing that we have to understand is here, first and foremost, that Paul is saying to pray for those in authority. Number one, pray for the emperor, he's going to say. Pray for the kings. You, you know, and, and you have to understand that at that time, it was Nero that was the emperor of Rome. 
And because Nero was in charge of Rome, he, he was in charge of pretty much the whole world at that time, everything that Alexander the Great had conquered, which included Palestine. There were Roman soldiers in Palestine and, and Israel, and they kind of kept watch over things. As long as you guys are being behaved and taking care of business the way you're supposed to, give us our taxes, we're going to leave you alone. But Nero came into the scene, and he started to institute some laws, some laws that said, okay, I want you to worship the emperor, because the emperor is a god. And you need to worship the emperor. And because Christians came on the scene, they said, we're not going to worship anybody else but God. And also, there's going to be, it, it's going to be liberty. Anybody can do whatever you want. You know, if you want to have uh, sex with men, if you want to have sex with women. And there was this perversion that was attributed or at least connected to and collected with a lot of the worship that was going on at that time. So there were these laws that were being pushed. And, and, uh, and, and it, they were, everybody says, yeah, this is great. There were these orgy laws and a lot of things that were going on. And so once these laws were put into place, if a person didn't obey those laws, they were an enemy of the state. Sound a little bit familiar, by the way? And so Nero what, hated the Christians. As a matter of fact, he blamed the Christians for burning down Rome. Is one theory. There were a few other theories. But one theory is that Nero hated uh, the Christians, and he blamed them for burning Rome. And so what he did is he would catch these guys, and he would use them for his amusement. He would throw them into the lion's den as he gathered parties, and he would just throw them in there just to see what would happen. He would capture them, put them in prison. Some he even used as human torches to light up his events and hear them scream as they went out, and everybody would laugh. And this is the Nero, this is the emperor that Paul said, first of all, pray for him. Oh, yes, I'll pray for him, all right. I pray that he get run over a truck by a truck. I'll pray that he gets eaten by a lion. Here's what Paul said. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Number one, pray for all people. All people. This is who we're to pray for. And it's interesting because <clears throat> when Paul begins this, something must have taken place. The primary aim of the church is prayer. The primary of the church is to be able to lift people up, to know who Jesus Christ is. His focus was on evangelistic praying. His focus was on reaching the lost. We'll see that he desires, all, God desires all people to be saved. You know, and, and you might think, well, the focus of the church should be fellowship. You know, when I get to heaven, I'll be doing a lot of fellowship with all you, all of you that are here and with God. You know, the focus of the church is study, discipleship. Well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have the master teacher there showing me and teaching me, opening my mind to his word. You know, the, the focus of the, uh, of the church is ministry. You know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to be ministering to God. The focus of the church should be, uh, you know, fellowship and, and worship. That should be the focus of the church. When I get to heaven, beloved, we are going to be worshiping. But one thing I cannot do when I get to heaven is evangelize. Do you know why? Because number one, there ain't no sinners there. And number two, everybody there that's already going to be saved. And so we were left on this planet as a church body to do one thing, and that's to evangelize and to reach the lost. And we start off by praying for them, to pray for all people. He says, this is what I, I urge you to do. And he uses these, these terms, these four words, supplications, which is entries or petitions. It, it comes from the Greek word, which means deisius. And it's the meaning which is to lack or is deprived. Or, or in other words, there is something missing. There is something missing for the person that you're praying for. Supplication is a prayer, a deep, profound knowledge and knowing that there's something missing in that person's life. And most of the, our prayers are that way. God, 
I, I pray for my, my, my wife. I pray for my children. They are missing. Uh, th- they need this job. They need this car. They need this family uh, to be built up. They need uh, food. They need money. God, I pray because they're, and we are supplicating. But Paul is not talking about the mundane, material things. Paul is talking about the spiritual things. He says, he's, you know, and Jesus Christ himself said, what will it gain your children? Your grandchildren, your mother, your father, your brothers and sisters. What would it gain them if they were to gain the whole world? And God would just bless them with everything that you ask for. Yet lose their soul. And so we pray and we know that there's something lacking and there's something that is needed. And Paul is going to tell us here in just a little bit to pray for the emperor, pray for the king, pray for the president. Some of you might have this view of our president that he's lacking something. I'm going to leave it like that. Some of you are probably thinking about these other front runners that are running. They're lacking something. But the one thing, and we don't know, but the one thing that every person in this world has come to in one place until they have been transformed by the Holy Spirit, regenerated, is salvation. And whether we prayed for a president that was moral and ethical, if he is not saved, it matters not. And so we supplicate we plead, we know that there is something missing in the person's life. And this is kind of what Paul had in mind when he told the people in Philippi, Philippians 4, 5, 6, in your outlines, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You want to pray? Pray. Understand, you know, by prayer, petition. And then he says another word, prayer. You know, Paul could have just said, you know, pray for the king. But he uses these words, not that there are four different types of prayer, but it's four, it, it is the way to pray in four different ways. In four different modes, I guess you would say. Not ways, because it's all one prayer. But prayer is basically, you know, this, this word that we use. It's not, it's not like supplication, in, in a sense, but it's more of a direct connection to God. Because prayers are always directed to God. We supplicate for one another. We ask things for one another. But prayer, that's connected to God. In essence, when you start to pray with a supplicating heart, when you start praying for somebody is in need of salvation and you're praying to God, you are actually worshiping. You are loving God. You are focused on God. Your attitude is worship. Did you, did you know that by praying for the president or the cabinet or the Republicans or the Democrats, whoever it is you want to pray for, whoever you're praying for, did you know that that is an act of worship? And it's an act of worship that is directed toward God. And God himself is hearing these prayers. And prayer is uh, ultimate. It's directed right at and is directed to our heavenly father. And he is the one that receives all the glory. Look at this next verse, 2 Corinthians 4, 15. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. The more grace extends to those people that are around us, and the more, that, the more that they receive this grace from God, it gives God the glory. I, I cannot tell you how many times people have come to know the Lord. and I don't take the credit for it. I know God did something in their life. I, I try to share my testimony by saying that's how God used this one person. And it was by the grace of God that I am saved. Not by that one person. Intercessions. Again, it's, and, and it's the word that you probably know what it means. And it sounds like the word, but, but it's, it's actually comes more from to fall in with somebody. In other words, to be connected. 
and you're, you're together in this. So where you, where you sympathize, you know, sympathize, you know, I, I really feel bad for, I feel, I really feel bad. I feel bad for what's happened to you. But, but it's more than that. It's also to empathize. You know, not only do I feel bad, I can feel your pain. I know because I've gone through that. I, I'm empathizing with you and, and I, I feel, and, and it hurts me that it hurts you. To be sympathetic says, well, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that you are hurting and I'll pray for you. But to be empathetic, you are literally connected with that person in spirit, in mind, and in body. And when you pray this intercession, this way for other people, you're interceding for the person that you're praying for in such a way that you feel that lostness. I remember when I was lost. I remember how I had all this guilt and shame. I remember all the evil things that I do to this day. 36 years later, I am still, as I share my testimony, when the pastor asked me, do you, what about you? Are you going to heaven? And I told him, no. And it still pains me when I say, I'm not. I know I'm not. I'm going straight to hell. I know that because of the things I've done, and, and it's too late for me. And I thank God every day that I was still alive to be able to receive that grace that he had for me. Intercessory becomes a big part of who you are with that other person, and you pray. You know, beloved, this is something that it takes supernatural strength. I don't know about you, but to have to pray this way every morning, and every time that I pray for people, it's depleting. It is. But God gives you the strength. Amen? And, and the last thing Paul says, with thanksgiving. I want you to do this. I urge you with supplications and prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving. Everything is a thanksgiving to God. You know, and you thank God. You thank God for the gospel message that you're able to proclaim. You thank God that you're able to share with other people. You thank God that he's changed a person. You thank God that they are opened to listening to what's happening. Yesterday, we had the opportunity to pray, uh, at least talk to a young man. And uh, he said, I don't believe in God. I said, that's okay. You know? And we shared the gospel with him, message with him anyways. And there was something that took place within his heart. I really, Man, I really wish we could have followed up on that. But now it's the Holy Spirit's responsibility. Something took place. I mean, you know what? I felt so much better. Well, you know, it's more than just a feeling. Something took place. And we pray. I pray every day I'm going to be praying for this young man to, to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I thank God for that opportunity to do so. Otherwise, if we wouldn't have had that funeral yesterday, we would not have had that opportunity. And so we give gratitude to God and we thank God. In 2 Corinthians 9, verses 11 through 12 in your outlines, it says, You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. And what you do, the people are, are just, you know, thankful. Well, well, thank you. I always say, well, thank God. Thank him. Paul is not providing for us four types of prayer, but what he is providing for us is a way to pray, realizing that the people's need is desperate. They're desperately lost, realizing that we want to see God glorified through their salvation of their souls, sympathizing, empathizing, compassionate, identifying with their needs, thanking God that we have the privilege of being used by God to reach the lost. This is the type of prayer that we pray. He says, for, we, we make these prayers for all people. Number two, I pray for those in authority. Pray, pray for those in authority. I gave you a rundown of who the king was, the emperor was. Pray for kings. And all those who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. And uh, these kings and people in high positions were people basically kind of like what we have today. 
it's tyrannical. It's all power. It's all, you know, and we pray for them. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you this next week. As the election starts coming up, we have an election coming up in March, and, and you're going to be asked to vote, and you're going to go out, and you're going to vote. Pray for the people that you're pr- voting for. Whatever side you vote for, just pray for them. Pray that God just, you know, if the church would just take the time to pray. You, you know, and I, I hear a lot of churches, we got to pray that guy out of office. We got to pray this guy into office. We, you know, and I, I hear the hatred and the animosity. You know the problem with being in politics as a Christian? Being in politics as a Christian makes you an enemy or that op- opposing person is your enemy. That person that is opposing you or you're opposing, that's your mission field. Those are the people that need Jesus Christ. Those that you hate, those that you don't want anything to do with, those are the people that you need to be praying for. And when you're involved in politics as a Christian, I don't know how they do that if they're genuinely Christians. I don't know how they are able to separate the two. But that is my mission field. That is your mission field. And so we, we pray for them in high positions and high places. Let everyone, Romans 13, 1 says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except for what God, uh, from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Paul says to the people in Rome, he says, this is why I put the, the, the leaders there. I put them there because they have a sword. They are there to discipline you. They are there to keep order. They are there, and yes, you should be praying for them because they're the ones that are causing the laws to be put into place. And, uh, you know, a lot of them need a reality check. They need the Holy Spirit to knock them around like he did me. Uh, in, in 1 Peter 2, 17, this is not in your outlines, but Peter tells them, he says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Honor him. I, I know some of you are thinking, what? Honor this emperor or the last one or the next one? Or, you know, honor him? Yeah, you don't, you don't, you honor him and not by obeying him. You honor him by knowing that this is the person that God has instituted for your benefit. Now, here's the thing, beloved. Here's the thing. God is the one that puts people into power. Romans 13 will tell us that a little bit later. God is the one that puts them into power. And he puts them into power for our benefit or for our chastisement, for our punishment. Every time that Israel disobeyed, God put in an evil king. I don't know about you guys, but I believe that the United States has veered off in a, in a, on a path that is way off track. And so God is going to institute kings according to his desire to be able to deal with America and us. Pray for them. Pray that they have a change of heart. Pray that God changes their heart. Pray that God is, that's the only way it's going to happen. God has to change their heart. Prayer for all that in authority, it, 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 it happens because I think what happened here at the, at the place of in Ephesus, I think what happened here is that the church had gotten to the point where, look, this is the gospel message is only for us. It's only for the Jewish people and those that follow the Jewish law. That's what they were following. They were following some sort of Judaism. And then there was another group of people that were following what was called Gnosticism. And, you know, we, we believe that this intellectual need and this intellectual desire is what's getting us saved. And if you don't have intellectual desire, and if you cannot think properly and, and reason wisely, then you're not part of this group. So everybody else was off limits. Paul says, no, you pray for everyone. Everyone needs to be prayed for. Every person. He says to Titus in 3, 1, 1 through 3, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all 
people. He goes on to say, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. And so Paul says, we pray for all people. Number three, pray for their salvation. Pray for their salvation. The reason we pray is that God saves them. In verses 3 through 4, he says, this is good when you pray, when you supplicate, when you uh, intercede, when you petition. This is good. And when you give thanksgiving. And it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He desires people to be saved. And some people have taken this verse and created this idea, this thought, this theology of universalism. Universalism is basically saying that everybody gets saved. See, God always gets what he wants. If he desires everyone to be saved, then everyone gets saved. And you tend to hear that a lot at funerals. You know, people come up and you know this person was just like, no good. And you know that this person was just, I, I don't, you know. But yet, this person was good enough to everybody goes to heaven. Like as if all you have to do is die. And you get straight up into heaven. And so what, what we have to understand is that salvation only comes from God. And we want everyone to be saved. This is not preaching or proclaiming that everyone gets saved. But God desires everyone to get saved. He does. See, there's this perfect will of God, and then there's this permissive will of God. God's perfect will is, you know, I, I, want, I want everyone to get saved. And, and his permissive will is, well, you know, I know that people aren't all going to get saved. It's, it's not going to happen that way. We, we know that. His perfect will is, is that, you know, number one, that there is no sin. Unfortunately, he's allowed sin to be in, in the picture. He, he didn't will it to be. He's allowed it to be because of man's disobedience. His perfect will is, I don't want any sin. As a matter of fact, God hates sin. God cannot look on sin. And because God is holy, he shuns sin. And unfortunately, many, many people say, well, you gotta, God, you got to love the sinner but hate the sin. And unfortunately, is the sin that is attached to the sinner that gets sent to damnation. And so there has to be this disconnect between the, the sin and the sinner. And the sinner has to come to know the gospel message that, yes, we're all sinners, as Paul said. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But by grace that we've been saved, that sin was taken off and was placed upon Jesus Christ on the cross. And Jesus' righteousness was placed upon me. And therefore, I can stand before God, still a sinner, not perfect, but knowing that he has saved me because of what he did on the cross. And this powerful and dramatic passage, you know, we say, well, why pray for the lost? Why? Why pray for them? Because God said to. That's why, number one. If God knows who he's going to save, if he's got his elect, if he's got his chosen, if he's got his predestined, why even pray for them? Well, number one, because God said to. God said to reach the, we don't know who they are. And so our responsibility is to proclaim that gospel. And not only to proclaim it because he said so, but the second reason is because is we get the awesome privilege of being able to share in, with God in what he's doing on this planet. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, it says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. You, you know, we, we are emissaries. We are go-betweens. We, we are part of this political uh, reign, the system, this economy of God. We're part of what he's doing, and we are his ambassadors. 
God making his appeal through us. And we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. And when, we, when you approach somebody that is off and doesn't want to hear it, you know, and, and has nothing to do with it, just think about it this way. You see, God is the sheriff. I am the deputy. You broke the law. Some people will say, you know what, that's on you. And they'll say, I don't, I don't care. And some people say, I'm sorry, what should I do? And that's what happens when a person recognizes that they're a sinner. What must I do? What happened to all the people during Pentecost when Peter proclaimed the message and 3,000 were saved, they were cut to the heart. Peter said, you're sinners and you've, hurt, you've, you've sinned against God. And they all said, what must we do? Peter said, repent. Bottom, just repent. It's not even a suggestion. That's a command. You repent. And 3,000 were saved. And so when we are praying with supplication, you see, God doesn't want people to, to, to die. God doesn't want them to be, uh, to be expelled. Or he, he, does, he takes no pleasure. Takes no pleasure. Look at Ezekiel 33, 11 in your outlines. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back. Turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die? O house of Israel. This is God's heart. He desires for no one to be, to die. He desires for no one to be cast out. That is his heart. And we know that that's, even though that's his heart, we understand that he has chosen those that are going to be saved. In John 17, verse 6, I don't think this is in your outlines, but in John 17, verse 6, it says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. I've come, and I've made myself known to those that you gave me, Lord. Father, you gave me these people from the foundations of the world, and I've showed myself to them, and he'll continue to do so. And so God desires all men to be saved, but, you know, we know that the Bible teaches that not everyone is going to be saved. And so this, there's this, there's this how, do you, how do you balance that? How do you reconcile that? Well, I, the thing is, I don't have to reconcile it. I just got to know that God desires everyone to be saved, and I know that not everyone's going to be saved. That's just all I need to know. To try to make that work in my mind, sometimes I can't. I, I leave that up to God. My responsibility is to proclaim the message to everyone. And everyone hears the gospel. Everyone can understand the gospel, but not everyone's going to receive it. And I don't know who that's going to be. So every opportunity, I share the gospel. That's just the way it happens in my life. In Isaiah uh, 45, 22, Isaiah says, God says, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Again, in Isaiah 55, 1, he says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Everyone, he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Everybody, come. Come, everyone. I want everyone to be saved. And then in Ezekiel 18, 13, 32, he says, and this is in your outlines. He says, for I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord. So turn and live. And Paul, uh, Peter even says in 2 Peter, once again in your outlines, verse 3 and 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, and as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach 
repentance. We know that this is God's heart. We know that he hasn't returned yet because he's being patient. He's being patient. He wants you to pray for those in authority. But maybe a little closer to your heart, he wants you to pray for those that are underneath your roof. Those that you know need this saving message. And pray with supplications and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving. Make your request to God. And pray, empathize, sympathize compassionately. And, and understand that they are hurting, that they are lost. Not for their health, not for their wealth, but for their salvation. Because they need to hear the message. And you continue to pray. And you continue to pray. And you continue to pray. That, beloved, will keep you busy for the rest of your life. He takes no pleasure in judging the sinners. He doesn't. But we know that that's going to happen. He takes no, he takes no pleasure in doing those things that, that uh, we, we look at and, and we think that, you know, God is going to send everybody to hell. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't take pleasure. He takes no pleasure in those things. As a matter of fact, in James, and this is not in your outlines, but in James it says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil as he himself tempts no one. In other words, he can't make people sin, but people do anyways. What he desires is that everyone be brought together in his arms. As he told the people in Jerusalem, on the mountains, he prayed over Jerusalem. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hand gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. And the last thing I want to share with you is this. Number four, pray that they come to know the true Jesus. Pray that they come to know the true Jesus. Paul tells Timothy, Timothy this. He says, for there is one God. There's one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. One of the most fundamental, one of the most fundamental truths of the Bible is there is one God. Amen? Only one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Just one. Not many, just one. You know, Buddhists and Muslims and uh, everyone else will tell you, well, there's a lot of gods. If there were a lot of gods, then there would be a lot of ways to be saved. But there's only one God. And because there's only one God, Jesus Christ is his mediator. And Jesus Christ is the only way. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He didn't say, I, 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 I can show you the way. I can point to the way. I can lead you to the way. He says, no, I am the only way. He says, I am the truth. He didn't say, I'll debate the truth with you. Uh, you know, you might have your truth. I have my truth. No, he is the truth. And truth never changes. Truth changes me. Say that with me. Truth never changes. Truth changes me. One more time. Truth never changes. Truth changes me. And Jesus Christ is the truth. He's the truth personified. And he is, when you encounter truth, you've encountered Jesus Christ. Truth is a person. It's not a philosophy. It's not a thought to be argued. It's not a debate. It's not, you know, relevant depending on your circumstances. It's not, truth is truth. And some people try to pass off truth, or science, I guess you would say, is truth. Some people say, well, you know, science is truth. No, it's not. Science has never been truth. It's more of a, you know, I guess, 
or this is my best estimate according to my uh, empirical data that I've gathered. And I put it all together and I've calculated the, the, you know, all the, the numbers and squared it by pi and I had a cookie as well and boom, that's what it all is. You know, did you know that for, the, for a very long time, the truth that was out there in science was that the world was flat. The world was flat. Always. Always has been. Oh, by the way, it's not flat. Uh, now it's round. Yes, the world is round. Okay, well, you know what? You're right. The world is not round. It's oval. But it's the center of the universe. We have a, we have a, 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 a universe that is uh, surrounded and it goes around our planet Earth. We are the center. Oh, wait a minute. We're not the center. It's the sun that's the center of the universe. And we all go around the sun. Oh, wait a minute. There's a lot more suns out. You know? And it keeps changing and it keeps changing and it keeps changing. Science has always been a huge guesstimate. And it, it's not truth. It's just a, maybe a, at the most, an assumption, a maybe. And so Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We have one God and Jesus Christ as the mediator. And with God being God and Jesus being the mediator, he is the only one that can save us. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says, And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we may be be saved. Amen? In John 10, verse 17 and 18, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from the Father. And what Jesus is saying, he says, you know, I'm the only way, I'm the only truth, and I'm the only life. And there's no one that can come to the Father except for me because I have the authority to lay down my life and to pick it back up again. Now, the question has been asked before, and I think it's Ray Comfort that has stated this before. See, either Jesus Christ is who he says he is. Either he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come through uh, to, to God except through him, or he was a big fraud. Either he's who he says he is, or he's not. And that's the choice that people are, are dealt with. You have to believe what the Word of God says and what Jesus said, or either you don't. And if you don't, then you can't take the rest of the, the Word of God into your heart because you don't understand it, because you don't. And so he gave himself. He laid his life down. And this ransom theory, this ransom uh, doctrine where he supplied his life for your life. He not only paid for you, he not only gave his blood for you, but he also took your place. And, and there's this substitutionary atonement. In other words, there's this, uh, the, the atonement is the payment that was paid for your sin, for your soul. He paid that price. And he substituted himself for you and you for him. And he placed himself on the cross so that you would not have to die. This is, beloved, if you can just grasp the, uh, the awesomeness, the enormity of this doctrine of how Jesus Christ, the substitutionary atonement, he substituted himself for you. If you can just understand that, it would just cause you to sing hallelujah for the rest of your life. Because that was me that's supposed to be on that cross. That was me that was supposed to die. That was me that was to experience the wrath of God. The Bible says that as Jesus Christ stood on the cross, was hung on the cross, and he's crying out, Eloi, Eloi, Allah, Why, my God, have you forsaken me? Why? Why have you forsaken me? And that God was just pouring out 
the wrath of the world upon Jesus Christ. My, my sin, James's sin, your sin, the sin of all the world of the past and of the present and of the future. He was just taking it on and he became sin and God had to turn his face and walk away because he could not look upon sin. And that's what God did for you. That's what Jesus Christ did for you. And that's the message that we got to get out to people because they're lost. And they are going to experience this damnation that was not meant for them. It was meant for Satan and his demons. It wasn't meant for people. And it's meant to give hope. And unfortunately, we cannot understand the good news until we understand the bad news. This is why Paul says at the end, uh, the, the verse at the end in 119, 1 Corinthians 9.16, it says, For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. The word preach is not necessarily to be a pastor or preacher, but the word preach is to proclaim, is to share it. Woe to you if you do not proclaim the gospel. In other words, whoa, that's a, that's a heavy word. You know, I, I know that something terrible is going to happen to me. Woe to me, Isaiah said. Well, I, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst some people of unclean lips, and I know my heart. You know, depart from me, Lord. We are given the responsibility. That's why we're here as a church. Paul says, Timothy, that's why you're here as a church, to pray. First and foremost, he says, first and foremost, this is what I want you to do. Pray. We're going to talk about men and women within the church. We're going to talk about the qualifications for pastors. That's the third thing. The fourth thing is the qualification for deacons. The fifth thing is the, uh, uh, the, uh, how to behave in the household of God. Uh, you know, there's, there's just some things that Paul's going to talk about. Remember, this series is called How to Behave in the House of God, How to Behave in Church. And Paul starts off, very first, the very first thing is to pray. I'm going to ask you to stand. Now I'm going to ask you to, as best as you can remember, the four things that Paul said to do in our prayer life, in our supplication, in our prayers, in our intercession, in our thanksgiving, in your heart, and right there where you are. You don't have to pray it out loud. I mean, if you need to, if you want to, it's okay, you can. But right there, uh, number one, start to pray. Pray for your loved ones. But let's pray. Let's pray for our, our government, those in authority. I, I don't know about you, but I, I really believe that we need an intercession of some sort from God. If you've kept up with the news, if you know what's going on, we need God to intercede. And we need for God to do what he's going to do. And God, there's no other way. We can try to make this out happen on our own. We can try to be clever and smart, and we can try to get rich and famous, and we can try to influence by our own power, but we know, Lord, that you thwart the plans of people that are trying to go up against you. So first and foremost, Lord, I, I want to get to the point where I know that there's a, this supplication, there's this deep desire, this need that is in people's life for our president, Joe Biden, for our vice president, Kamala Harris, for those that are in Congress, for those that, uh, that need a revival in their heart. And I pray for a transformation in their heart that gives you the honor and the glory and recognizes it and causes it to be seen throughout the world. 
And I pray that there's a transformation and a change. And Father, there is a huge supplication that we are doing here even now. And Father, we want to intercede. We want to fall alongside them. We want to be able to empathize with them. I know that many of them are driven by power and by fame and by finances. And Father, we just we pray that we can sense the uh, the darkness that they have and that they are experiencing, the loneliness and the, the, the ability to be able to know what's going on in their life. We know that our president lost a son. We know that he's been going through a lot of things. And Father, we just we just cannot understand and fathom the things that are happening in this life right now. But give us the ability to sense that, to know that. And I, and I pray for the front runners that are also battling for this presidency. I pray for President Trump, and I pray for uh, Nikki Haley, and I pray for those, Father, that want to be in power. And that you give them a clean heart, that, you, that their hearts are transformed and are committed to you. And that salvation come upon them and their household as well. And Father, we want to give you the thanks and the glory. And I, right now, Lord, we know that every time you change a heart, it's all because of you. So every person that is here within the sound of my voice, we all have people that we want to pray for. Lord, I want to lift up to you their children. I, I pray, God, that you, you help us to, to supplicate in such a way for their need and to empathize, have that compassion, and that we're able to, to sense the, pa the pain that they're going through and the, the agony and the darkness and the, all that that the enemy wants to keep us confused in. Help us to... to, to do so on a regular basis because you've asked us to pray for all people. I pray for their grandchildren, those that are lost, those that are starting off on the wrong path. There are many broken homes and they're being raised by other people. Father, I pray that you just give them all a heart of compassion, a heart that is after you especially for the foster parents, for the step-parents, for those parents that are uh, away from you and doing their own thing. Father, I, I pray that you give them a, a heart that is, that is just calling out to you, giving you the glory, and thanking you for the change and the transformation that you've given them. I pray for my, our families, our brothers and sisters, for our parents, for those that still have parents. Lord, the list can go on and on and on. And I pray that right now, this moment, becomes just a token, an example of what we should be doing on a regular basis. And I thank you, Lord, that you put Paul uh, at this place to give Timothy this letter so that we can read it today and we can be reminded of how a church is to behave. So, Lord, from this day forward, we will commit ourselves to praying in like manner. Make this a part of our prayer life every day. And I pray that each one here within the sound of my voice can make that same commitment. Lord, I thank you for those that are here and those that are listening. And I thank you for the way the food was prepared for us this afternoon, that you just bless the food and nourish us. And we just thank you for the fellowship that is to partake of. And we thank you for this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Everyone says, amen. amen.